know, the lens of follow the money, look at the data reporting that's happening, and then look at the use cases all still apply. But then the candidates for displacement, consolidation, and maybe even an, uh, an upgrade of capabilities by replacing that tool, those are all viable options. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch podcast. That's Mark Butler, advisory CISO at Trace3 and former CISO at three different companies before that. Mark has a lot of experience cleaning up and refining existing environments, and I thought he would be the best guest to come on down to the ranch and talk about tech stack rationalization. I learned a lot in this conversation, and I hope you will too. Mark, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Thanks, Alan. It's great to be at the ranch. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Well, let's uh, start with uh, just a brief little background of you. What's your background in cyber? A little bit about your day job. Yeah, so I've worked for corporate America. I've worked for vendors, worked for startups, resellers, compliance consulting firms. And here at Trace3, I'm an advisory CISO. So I, I get to bring the full circle of experience uh, you know, to uh, all the opportunities that I get to work with. So it's, it's been fun. Heck of a diverse background, and I'm sure all of that lends towards being a better VC. So, yeah, the VC so gig is uh, is fun. It's interesting because you you get to talk to clients of all types and varieties on a regular basis, and the opportunities are very. Some are strategic, some are tactical, some are in between. Some companies want you to help their next M and A um, focus. Some companies want to improve their existing program. Other companies want you to come in and block and tackle and uh, help them, you know, deal with some very serious risk concerns or detection capabilities and or put a strategic roadmap together. So definitely never a dull moment in the VC cell lane. I, I love that variety. You get to do something different every day, and I'm sure that keeps it fresh and keeps you from getting that burnout. You get sometimes fighting the same battle up the same hill mm-hmm. every day of the week, right? Yep, Absolutely. All right, so we're here to talk today about tech stack rationalization. And I thought before we got into that, let's come up with a mutual term, you know, let's define it and make sure we're on the same page. So what is your take on tech stack rationalization? What does that mean to you? Yeah, so this will be a fun one. Tech stack rationalization is where companies are intentionally evaluating what they have, what they've invested in, and are they getting the value out of those investments from an application, a tooling, and looking at the evaluation from really a critical perspective. It doesn't matter who bought the tool. It doesn't matter why the original use case, um, you know, if it still exists or not. It's really a critical evaluation of what they have. Should it continue? Is there a better opportunity to replatform, given maybe a a cloud migration or a cloud um, application refactoring? And should these tools stay in existence within the organization, especially from a financial and a use case and an outcome lens? That's a very comprehensive definition. I normally would have something to add or be like, yeah, well, don't forget, blah, blah. I think you nailed it. I don't want to add anything to that definition. Let's roll with that. So let's start with taking it apart now. If you know you have a problem with too much tech, you've got underutilized tech, or you've got too much overlap of tech, you know, excessive investments, or you've got investments not being leveraged at all, i.e. shelfware, where's the best place to get started? 
Yeah, I think the first thing that everybody needs to admit, and I, hopefully this is a breath of fresh air, but we will never probably realize 100% rationalization and we need to be okay with that. Yep. So if you can get 90% or 99%, that's awesome. Um, so there's a continuum of, on one end, it's fully fragmented. On the other end, it's fully rationalized. And we want to be as close to the rationalized end as possible from a vetting, a due diligence, an evaluation. What, what did we buy this tool for? Where's the data going out of this tool? So everybody take a breath and just say, I may not be fully rationalized within my environment, and that's okay. But I want to be as close to fully rationalized as possible. So given that landscape, it's really helpful to look at why the tools were invested in, what was the context of those decisions, does the tool even support any data decision-making today, and is it positioned to deal with the threats from an emerging attack scenario perspective that are happening today? And if so, you can leave those on the list, look at uh, renewals and expansions and maybe replatforming. But you really need to take a look at the, the financial spend, the usability, the lifespan of those tools. Are they staying current from a, a technical threat perspective, helping the security program? Or is there an opportunity to consolidate and eliminate vendors, relationships, and complicated tech stacks that are not supporting business decisions? I like that. And I'm sitting here thinking both in terms of my day job and one of my advisory board roles, there's broad strokes of things like framework compliance, maturity, risk reduction, business objective alignment that you can do to say, is this tool fitting any of that? And then there's also the more narrow strokes of a, like a threat-informed defense where you can actually attack yourself and see based on results and based on what happened, is this tool that I'm paying you know $1,000 a month to doing what it's supposed to do versus this other tool over here that I'm only spending 100 a month on somehow magically is actually the one stopping the known attacks. Like there's, I, I'm guessing there's a lot of takes, and you mentioned before being strategic and being tactical and sort of up and down the executive perspective down into the tech perspective. Are you using techniques and tools like that to sort of launch your initial evaluation? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, in addition to the typical bottoms up inventory, which everybody struggles with to do yeah. that hundred percent, I recommend a different approach of follow the money. So mm. go to your finance team, get every contract that you're currently paying on from a technology investment perspective and figure out how long it's been in place, what's coming up for renewal, then you have that, that lens. That's one lens. The next lens to look at is dashboards from an executive reporting perspective. Uh -huh. What's being fed into those KPIs and those dashboards and those risk committees and the, you know, the next product launch and, and what is that being built on um, from a, you know, a platform and a development and a pipeline perspective? So really between follow the money and get the data reporting lens, that's uh -huh. where I would start. And then you can inform a bottoms up inventory effort of what's in place today. And just because it's in place today doesn't mean it needs to be in place tomorrow, but there needs to be that the business connection and the data connection. And uh, before any of those investments made, you know, there needs to be a financial rationalization needs to be mm -hmm. a business use case rationalization, and then there needs to be a technical capability rationalization. And all three of those lenses will come together to, to help make the right answers and, and provide that roadmap. 
That's perfect. And starting with where the dollars are going is always one of my number one recommendations. When folks are having trouble populating a CMDB, I always tell them, go go see what you're spending money on first because you've got servers and closets that we know for a fact dollars went out the door even if we didn't account for them through the IT processes, right? What you're describing, you know, there's an alignment with security architecture there that, uh, you know, how does how does that look? Yeah, so everybody that's involved in security architecture for the last few years have been challenged to translate their security architecture, which they're being audited on from an investment perspective, a capability perspective, an audit response and evidence perspective. And as cloud migrations are happening and as hybrid cloud is being uh, invested in and uh, taken advantage of, you know, the security architecture of tomorrow looks very different from the traditional security architecture. So the, the good thing is if you're cloud native and you're building applications from a cloud delivery perspective, the pipeline and the security that's built into that, you're going to get into concepts like policy as code and enforcement as code and detection as code and, and you know, all of these capabilities where you don't have to buy necessarily a big ticket tool to accomplish that. You may be able to do that with cloud service provider capabilities and, and some targeted third-party tooling where you don't have to have the traditional, you know, network stack, edge services stack, deep inspection on, you know, the endpoints. You know, you still have to have the, the building blocks of, of access and making sure your devices have integrity. But with the move to adaptive security and zero trust um, and then a cloud-delivered pipeline, you know, the tech stack is actually becoming simpler in a lot of ways. We just have to pivot into how are we, how are we protecting, you know, serverless and functions as a service and containers and Kubernetes and uh, right. making sure that, you know, the developers have the autonomy that they need to deliver quickly, but they also don't have 17 tools looking at their pipeline, right? Versus, right. you know, one or two targeted tools. Okay. So I think the the transition, you know, from a, from a cloud perspective is really, really helping the security field. And a lot of people get that, but a lot of people are, are still forced to deal with kind of the corporate backend traditional, you know, IT networking infrastructure, et cetera. So that's more of the challenge in the traditional environments versus the cloud first environments. Yeah, that brings up an idea for a whole nother show, which would be taking, you know, Togaf and Sabsa and some of these guys and applying them to this modern DevOps world, this cloud-centric, container-centric, Lambda code world. But that's that's a whole nother topic. What what you're getting into, though, is, you know, when you talk about down to that level of containers and Kubernetes and, and Lambda code and whatever else it might be, you're isolating and identifying underperformance or even worse, non-performance, right? So what are the contractual options exist you know, that lets you deleverage that? Like, first of all, how do you isolate? And then second of all, what are your contractual options to sort of deleverage or bail on that stuff? Yeah, so the the lens, you know, the lens of follow the money, look at the data reporting that's happening, and then look at the use cases all still apply. But then the candidates for displacement, consolidation, and maybe even an, uh, an upgrade of capabilities by replacing that tool, those are all viable options. And so you're going to have a target list that you're going to say, these, I know I don't need from a tooling perspective. I know I'm not getting any value out of it from a business data decision-making perspective. And there's nothing on a, a technical threat roadmap that I need to keep the tool. So those should be your, your high value targets um, to look at the contracts, see when you can get out of them, 
cancel them, you know, if, if, if it's a non-performance issue or something related to a contract item, then absolutely get, you know, move on and, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. quickly do it. The longer term ones, you may have a data migration, pl- you know, project to work mm-hmm. out of. Mm-hmm. You may have data consolidation project. You may have to get that data in some other type of data analysis or data lake to, you know, transition that tool out. You're going to have a lot of mini projects as you kind of work through this. And that's something sure. a lot of the rationalization, uh, the idealism of rationalization will feed a, a mini set of projects and portfolio items and data integration uh, efforts, you know, to really make sure you're not missing anything or leaving anything on the table when you pull that tool out entirely. Okay. I like that. I, that makes a lot of good sense. And I love your targets. I'm thinking back to one shop I worked in because I'm thinking about, you know, the best of breed aspects of this now too. And I'm thinking back to one shop I worked in. We had OS native sort of management, health check, patch delivery, you know, these kinds of tools. We had a secure management tool that was third party. We had an EDR solution that was third party. And we had an identity and access management solution that was third party. All in competition with native OS capabilities and all to a certain extent in competition with each other. The third-party management guys would, would start talking about how they could start to do EDR. And the EDR guys would start to talk about how they could do secure config management. And there was this constant struggle to figure out like what the true best of breed was. And I'm curious, what's your guidance for our listeners? You know, what is the best of breed approach? How might it not always be the best strategy, maybe? And when it is the best strategy, how do you actually go about doing it? Yeah, best of breed is really it's a great intent. And the intent of it is to find the best tool regardless and find the best capability. doesn't matter how selective that tool is. It doesn't matter if it's only in a portion of your environment. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the best option, period. Now, the management and operation of many, many best of breed tools becomes pretty complicated right? because it, they're not typically fully deployed. They're not typically on every asset and environment you have. They may not be integrated either. So the best of breed concept is great, but the reality of the operations and management really falls down. And I think it supports the rationalization efforts of, is that use case still really number one of why we have this tool? And, or has the business transformed around all of these best of breed tools and the good enough tools and the, you know, I don't want to say quote adequate, but right. um, you know, if they're if they're good enough and they're meeting the need, and that cloud service provider is continuing to innovate, like Microsoft is, or like Google is, or, or Amazon, from a capability perspective, the third party tooling in the past has really been needed, but the third party tooling now is very targeted and bringing additional visibility to multi cloud or hybrid cloud right um, scenarios. So I would really question a tool that's been bought for a very targeted operating system or maybe a transactional environment that didn't have general tools available or you know you're in a vertical that really requires some IoT or some uh, financial transaction processing monitoring that's that's not available out of the box to so, you know there's there's scenarios that you may still need those tools but most of the time you can probably replatform on a newer capability from a vendor perspective and still get all the functionality you need. Right. And I'm thinking, you know, for the foodies and the, and the kitchen nerds in the crowd, Alton Brown, I don't know if anybody follows him on this show, but he's a, a famous TV chef 
who's got this maxim that you should never, ever, ever own a single-use tool in your kitchen. You know, the drawer full of things like the pineapple slicer and the it only serves this one purpose, this one thing. To your point about adequate enough or good enough, you can leverage a, a feature of an existing tool rather than have a one-off tool to do exactly that thing. It, it's That's another piece for me that I always try to keep in mind with that is another word I like to use when I'm doing rationalization in my mind is just reduction, right? Overall, I'd rather have seven tools to manage than 70 tools to manage, right? And kind of that same fundamental purpose, even, you know, ignoring the financials, right? Right. Yeah. And the consumption of the tool is really important. The deployment coverage of the tool is important. And then the policy evaluation of what is actually enabled in that tool, because a lot of tools are 30% utilized or 70% utilized from a configuration policy and capability perspective, because most organizations don't want to do an auto enforcement or auto mitigation or auto, uh, you know, correction of XYZ issues, right? Because, you know, think of, you know, the traditional web application firewall or the, the runtime application, you know, security protection firms, or, you know, I'm going to lock down your endpoint until I figure out what's going on. Some organizations can do that. A lot of organizations can't, right? They want to detect, they want to alert, they want to investigate, and then they want to figure out what to do. So, Yeah, you have to look at that adoption and, and that policy, you know, efficacy of, of am I really getting the value out of this tool that I bought because it had this cool feature, but I've never enabled it because the business uh, won't support that. And it's probably not the right move from an interruption perspective from a business flow. Right. In other words, a multi-use tool getting nerfed basically and becoming a single-use tool simply because of business feedback or, or business objection you can, you can purchase based on capability and then find yourself with yet another single-use tool that you're paying a ton of money for a pineapple slicer. Absolutely. We touched on this briefly, but if you've got these hybrid cloud models, you know how do you actually align the tech stack rationalization with the application modernization with the multi-hybrid you know hybrid cloud effort? Can you get into a little more detail there? Sure. The biggest thing I can say is get in touch with your product teams, get in touch with your application owners, figure out how you can accelerate that application modernization effort. You want to be a champion. You want to be a a cheerleader. You want to be a promoter. You want to do everything you can to speed that up as much as possible because the end state of when you can decommission that legacy application and that environment that supports it, the better off your life's going to be. So the pipeline delivery models, the container scanning from an image perspective, the vulnerability checks of the source code and the and the libraries that are being used from a software composition perspective, the deployment into you know the infrastructure as a service uh, or the functionless or serverless capabilities, and then the runtime capabilities of is this container or pod or cluster doing what I intended it to do, and is there anything coming in or out of it that is not aligned with how it's configured, what services are running. And what's the business logic that's actually being executed within it, right? And so all of those capabilities will help you from where's my golden build standard? Where's my CIS configuration checks? You know, is there malware running in my environment, right? All those traditional questions will be handled in that new model. And the security practitioner's life will be looking at cloud workload and runtime dashboards, as well as image and source code uh, checking and deployment consistency Mm -hmm. checks and 
if there's something off or, or wrong or not performing right, you correct the issue, you reinstantiate it, and you move on. Yep. So the paradigm is so beneficial and positive. I would say speed up those application modernization efforts and those app refactorings and those cloud migrations as much as possible from a security perspective. Let's pause right there and hear a brief word from our sponsor. Axonius has crossed the chasm, the first company to solve the cybersecurity asset management problem. Gartner has recognized cyber asset attack surface management chasm as a category in their hype cycle for network security 2021 report. Axonius gives its customers a comprehensive, always up-to-date asset inventory, helps uncover security gaps, and automates as much of the manual remediation as you want. Take a look at Exonius and give your team's time back to work on the high-value cyber initiatives they were trained to do. I love that you're so cloud-forward with all this, too, because usually when you think about rationalization, you think about the on-prem. You know, these days in cloud, a lot of the tooling is still relatively new, and folks don't run into that collision of seven tools doing the same thing like they have in their on-premises scenario, right? So it's, it's great to hear such a cloud-forward take on this. And I'm going to circle back. You've talked about data several times in terms of some of this being data-driven. How do you determine the quality of data coming from the existing tools, and will it meet the emerging threat scenarios? So this goes back to what I was saying about, you know, threat-informed defense and breach and attack simulation, you know, MITRE attack framework. Those, those would be my go-tos for this, but how are you managing that? Yeah, so from the rationalization perspective, you want to take a look at again, the, the KPIs, the dashboards, the executive metrics that are actually being produced, mm-hmm. what are they driving from a decision perspective? Are they driving, uh, is our business secure? Is our business compliant? Are we meeting the requirements from a regulatory perspective based on our vertical? Right, All those are valid questions. But mm-hmm. ultimately, you want to know, is there something that the executive team or the product team or the innovation team within your company actually is, has their pulse on? And do they need to know about that particular set of data to make a decision to bring out a new feature or function or, or service offering, to bring out new capability within an existing app, or to look at a merger and acquisition target? Or you know, from a business perspective, it's like, What's the board talking about from an investment and expansion perspective? What's the management team looking at to grow the business? And then how are you supporting that from a data perspective versus the compliance lens, which is totally valid and totally needed? It's probably taking a look at, you know, a reverse look and, and looking back. But I'm, I'm focused on what are we doing going forward to grow and expand the business and what kind of data do we need to support those decisions? And those, right. those data analysis processes are going to be done not in an infrastructure lens or a security lens or a developer lens. They're going to be done in a product ecosystem and a marketplace and a go-to-market you know, focus. Mm-hmm. So those, those are the broader conversations that you need to be having and figure out how can I support that from a tooling and a data export. And eventually, the nice thing about rationalization is you're going to have to eventually put an abstraction layer above all the tooling to Mm -hmm. say, okay, I'm getting all this data. I have an abstraction layer. And then I can say, okay, you know, I'm going to replace my endpoint tool or I'm going to replace my image scanning tool from a container perspective because my other vendor over here has a better capability than the tool I bought originally. 
takes the focus away from the, each individual tool, but it, it says, here's the data I'm getting out of the tool set and here's mm-hmm. how it's supporting the business decision. So the, the abstraction layer will help, you know, reduce the focus and kind of the, the politics and the, you know, vendor A versus vendor B. It'll look at the outcomes and the values from a business perspective of what decisions are being made. Yeah, that's that's a great answer for me for several reasons. First of all, outstanding perspective. But but there's two pieces of what you just said that really resonate for me. One is that we're trying to be business driven and let the tech stack feed the business goals as opposed to letting the you know the business goals meet what the tech stack is producing. And the other thing is that we're not just arbitrarily throwing out measurements, we're throwing out metrics, which I define the difference between is is that decision making tied to it. In other words, if you just spewed numbers into the wind and there's nothing you can do about those numbers, that's a measurement. If you throw something into the wind that's got numbers to it that actually impact decision-making, that's a true metric. And that's exactly the perspective Fousting here. And I love that. You know, we talked a little bit about your cloud forward thing too. And I just want a little bit of a surprise question to throw you here. You even alluded to this almost specifically, but I'm thinking of tools that are doing things like evaluating cloud inventory that are third-party tools. These days, Anybody that's doing anything in cloud that's third party almost always has to touch all the clouds. It's the multi-cloud scenario, right? Like I've got a centralized dashboard that lets me monitor my AWS, my GCP, my Azure, you know, all that good stuff. For me personally, the struggle and the challenge I've found is every time I'm entertaining a third party solution or deploying a third party solution, inevitably, like it almost feels like it's the next week, the native capabilities of each of those platforms rises to meet what the third party tools are doing. And so you get into this conundrum of, you know, now I may have better capabilities natively, but not in all three versus my third party tool, which may not have the best capabilities is in all three. And so for me personally, I always side with the third party tool. I need I need the visibility everywhere, even if it's not the best visibility. Just real quick, what's your take on that one? Yeah, that's we talk about this every day uh, with clients and even with internally within Trace Three because we have a we have a cloud security practice and we're we're spending time sitting there looking at at Azure's capability, GCP's capabilities, AWS's capabilities, and it, the pace of innovation is is amazing, and I support it, and it's awesome. But to your point. There's a need for multi-cloud visibility or hybrid cloud service coverage. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the tooling is catching up with that from a third-party perspective. And I would agree with you. I would tend to go with the third-party tool versus the CSP tool because ultimately you're going to have to extract those data elements and the metrics and the reporting from each cloud and then converge it into something else to make sense. So right. if you do that within five different third-party tools, how are those being correlated and merged and, and made sense of, right? So yeah. there's even the third-party tool rationalization effort, <laughs> even right, within right. the cloud front that you'll go through eventually um, as yeah. the third-party tools get better hybrid cloud coverage. But as the CSPs continue to compete and gain market share, we've especially seen this with Azure really you know, upscale all their capabilities and will continue to, but it's AWS has been around the longest GCP is yep. really investing from a cloud security perspective. Azure's really made a, a huge jump, especially in the last probably 12 to 18 months. Um, so it is a literal daily and weekly analysis of what's on the roadmap, how real is it, what is it actually going to do, right. will it meet my needs, and then how do I get the data out of it in some type of relevant API first or ability to consume that data without looking at an individual dashboard. Because if you're doing this at scale, you're not looking at dashboards. You're actually integrating this into some other 
metrics, abstraction, you know, multi-cloud view. And that's what the third-party tools are actually going to help more with. That's exactly it. So I, I made the comment earlier that the on-premises world, you're more likely to need rationalization than you are in the cloud. But to your point, I think we'll have parity in the problem statement probably within what, like the next year? Like like one of the things I've noticed just in the last maybe 18 months is how many cloud companies are snapping up cloud companies now in cyber. We've reached that critical mass where you've got ones that are big enough to buy the new ones that are coming out. And I think as soon as you see that, that's when you know rationalization is right around the corner, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's a super exciting space. It's, it's great. It's fun to watch and see the valuations are definitely very large. But yes. again, the pace of mergers, acquisitions, adoption, and CSP capabilities, it, it's all positive, right? I, I take it as, hey, there's a lot of movement, there's a lot of transition, who's going to buy who? You know, at the end of the day, it's all positive because we're getting better tools, better coverage, multi-cloud capabilities, whether you're using some hybrid mesh service, you know, to provide application delivery yep. or doing it on your own with a Kubernetes platform that's choosing, you know, container services from multiple cloud providers. Yep. The answers are, are getting better, they're getting faster, and they're yep. getting more coverage, especially from a response perspective, because typically cloud security tooling is visibility only. And then you're like, okay, now I have to go fix this, right? And then you're like, oh, I need a different tool for remediation, right? Um, yep. That story is going to get better and better. And that's really you know exciting to see because otherwise you're like, oh, I need my visibility tool. I need my multi-cloud visibility tool and I need a remediation tool, right? And that, that story yep. is going to get better. And there's also, don't forget some of the fundamentals, the identity tools in that multi-cloud space is another exciting area where some things are popping up that are getting really interesting mm -hmm. too. All right, so when you have the overlap, I'm back to my shop I used to work in where we had the secure management, we had the EDR, we had the native capabilities for identity, we had the third-party identity, we had the native capabilities for patch management, you know, et cetera, et cetera. How do you decide what to keep and what to let go? And how do you do it in a manner that does not increase risk of breach exposure while you're figuring out how to resolve these overlaps? Right. So the output of the exercise is to produce a roadmap and a roadmap will have, what am I going to get rid of within the first year? What am I going to eliminate based on financial analysis, data analysis, use case analysis, et cetera. And then Within that first year, how quickly can I do that? Is there anything coming out of that tool, being consumed from that tool, or being integrated from a downstream perspective that I need to replace, duplicate, or just provide in, into some type of data lake for archiving purposes? So you're going to have a 12-month and below roadmap. You're going to have a one- to two-year roadmap, and you're going to have a three-plus roadmap. And that's how we try mm -hmm. to think of it, of what's consumable from a project, a portfolio, a timing, because nobody has rationalization projects on their portfolio that I know of, right? These are right. all extra work, extra projects, and they need to be prioritized if you're actually going to make traction on it. And that's why most organizations have the tech debt that they have is because most of these projects get pushed to the edge and then they fall off and mm -hmm. they get pushed to next year, right? So there needs to be a, an actual focus from a, a CFO, CIO, CISO, uh, PMO, yeah. right? All of these really important parts of the organization need to come together and say, okay, we're, we're going to commit to this. We're going to do it across vendor management, sourcing, CIO, CFO, CISO, PMO, yep. the, the people that are actually trying to get the work done from a delivery perspective. Yeah 
have to have these yep. inserted into their portfolios and has to be room to do that, to prioritize them. Otherwise, you're going to have the tech debt issue just replicated further down the line. But you're going to sure. be more frustrated because you know about all of these things that you want to take action on and you want to improve. And that list gets bigger, but your ability to actually make progress and close out these you know, legacy tool investment, you want to realize that and you want to get the benefits of it. I've been there and seen the kick the can game and then seen it suddenly come to critical mass where at some point some pivotal event occurs, usually a negative event. And all of a sudden that can that got kicked three years in a row is suddenly like, guess what? We're rationalizing this tomorrow kind of approach and the mad scramble ensues. I've been there for that. Not a pretty story, not a pretty story at all, which brings me to the people side of this. If I was the admin in charge of X and it was declared that X was being phased out, there's a couple of things there, right? So first of all, I'm freaked out about, oh my God, I got a sudden massive can got kicked and suddenly it's all on me workload. But there's also the fact that I'm a little bit worried about, wait a minute, I'm the specialist in this tool that we're now phasing out as part of our rationalization program. So how do you deal with those people stories, you know, coming in as the consultant? That's really important. And the one thing I've learned in this industry is you have to be able to deal with change in a positive manner. If you can't deal with change in a positive manner, it's going to be a challenge. So, you know, the ability to pivot from a career perspective, a skill set perspective, mm -hmm. a training perspective, it's, it's wide open. There's no limitations, right? So if you're a if you're a mainframe programmer and you know you transition to mid-range systems, or if you're a mid-range programmer and you transition to Java, or if you're a .NET person and you transition to you know, Python, or if you're a network person and you transition to security or, you know, there's all these scenarios, right? Of whatever right. you are able to learn and grow and pivot to, the possibilities are endless. So don't take it as my identity and my perspective is tied up with this vendor's tool and that's all I do. Right. That is not the case, right? So much right. more right. is available. So train, pivot, be willing and able to you know, have the attitude that I want to learn, I want to grow, I want to take on this new challenge, I want to give myself the opportunity, but I also want to volunteer for it and get in the game and raise your hand yeah. and say, I want to do this and I want to be the leader of this new team and do whatever you can to get into that role and be as functional as possible with the right attitude. So I would say from a management perspective, look for the people with the attitude, the willingness and the internal motivation to, to pivot quickly. And then give mm -hmm. them all the support they need from a training perspective and a management perspective right. and a transition timing perspective. Just realizing that change is not easy, but welcome to uh, IT and welcome to security and welcome to, uh, you know, the new world. So that's how I would respond to that. It's, it's practical and it's fair. So I'll, I, I like that answer. All right. So Mark Butler, advisory CISO at Trace3. I got one question I ask every guest at the end of the show. What have you learned outside of cybersecurity that has helped you in cybersecurity? Yeah, it's an interesting question. So I think the biggest thing is learning to understand the emotional intelligence realm has been a big challenge for me because I'm an analyst at heart. I'm an engineer by discipline, introvert by personality. I love talking and, and speaking about things that I care about, especially, you know, I get to do that a lot, which is fun. But just being aware of why you're here, what you're trying to provide, are you seen and heard in the way that you want to be seen and heard, right? Kind of the emotional intelligence of, am I here? Am I present? Am I, am I providing, you know, the best version of myself in this scenario and in this context and in this situation really helps from 
a technology perspective, a storytelling perspective, connecting with business leaders. And I haven't done the best, you know, of that in every scenario, but I've learned over the years that unless you do that, you can't sit back and critique and evaluate and say, oh, you know, this happened, but I wish it would have gone this way. And so really taking, you know, accountability and ownership for that, I think is important, especially in the technology field where there's a lot of personalities, there's a lot of vendor influence, there's a lot of uh, expectations, you know, from a deliverables perspective and how the deliveries are made from a technology enablement perspective. There's a lot of hard work mm-hmm. behind the scenes. And so sometimes that's really not seen and valued as much as it can be. But I think just being aware of yourself and being aware of how you're perceived and interpreted and being part of a broader team and contributing, I think will uh, help go a long way. I love that answer. That's fantastic, man. All right. Mark Butler, advisory CISO at Trace3, industry seasoned veteran, I'm going to call you here with lots of experiences to rely on and uh, lots of past roles. And it sounds like it's all sort of culminated and gotten into a, a really interesting place in your career where you're sort of leveraging all of it and, and getting to do exciting new things. It's, it's fantastic. I want to thank you very much for coming down to the ranch. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now. Mm-hmm.